Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, that will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Live Radio 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you. We continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers. Um, we have arrived at that point where we have the opportunity to talk about St. John Paul II and, of course, treat him within the larger scope of, of the time in which he lived. So the only way we will really be able to do that is to break this up into two weeks, right? So the first week, we will be about mercy, right? As we know St. John Paul II as the great mercy pope. And week number two, next week, will be about theology of the body, his philosophical and theological reflections on Christian anthropology that in so many ways shaped and formed his whole papacy. Uh, Maybe we could say, his treatment of mercy shaped his heart, and his theology of the body shaped his intellect. Now, before we get into John Paul II and his role in God's plan of divine mercy, a few words about his life, and I will go to the Vatican website for our details here. Carol Wojtyla, uh, known as John Paul II since his October 1978 election right to the papacy, was born in the Polish town of Wadowice on May 18, 1920. And, and if you are a faithful listener out there, you know that, um, as I've shared in the past, I had the opportunity to go to Wadowice, and let me say, it is a profound experience to walk into that humble abode um, that he lived in and to just pray there. When you walk into his home, which is now, of course, a museum, um, there, at least 20 years ago, stands a very large picture of his father praying. Um, and let me tell you, it is a humble thing to be in that space where our Holy Father spent his early years. So, that being said, moving along, he made his first Holy Communion at the age of nine and was confirmed at 18. Upon graduation from a high school in Vadovice, he enrolled in Krakow's Jagiellonian University in 1938 and in the School for Drama. So at 18 years old, he entered the university. Now the Nazi occupation forces closed that university in 1939, so young Carroll was forced to work in a quarry from 1940 to 1944, and then in a chemical factory to earn his living and to avoid being deported to Germany. Now, in 1942, responding to his call to the priesthood, He began courses in the clandestine seminary of Krakow, and by clandestine we mean uh, secret, right, (laughs) run by the local cardinal of Krakow. At the same time, uh, Karol Wojtyla was one of the pioneers of the Rhapsodic Theater, uh, which was, of course, also clandestine underground. Uh, After the Second World War, he continued his studies in the major seminary of Krakow, uh, once it had reopened and was ordained to the priesthood on November 1st, 1946. So he was ordained to the priesthood at the young age of 27. Shortly afterwards, he was sent to Rome where he worked under the guidance of the French Dominican, Gary Goulagrange. Um, for those of you who have had the chance to study some of the great Christian classics, you might be familiar with Gary Goulagrange. 
and he finished his doctorate in theology in 1948 with a thesis on the subject of faith and the works of St. John of the Cross. So certainly faith, uh, the great virtue of faith, would be very important to his papacy. And at that time, during his vacations, he exercised his pastoral ministry among the Polish immigrants of France, Belgium, and Holland. Now, moving along in his narrative, in 1948, Karol Wojtyla returned to Poland and was vicar of various parishes in Krakow, as well as chaplain to university students. Um, a period that lasted approximately three years, and this was a period that we have many photos of, huh, where he would be kayaking with students and picnicking with students, and where we have come to know and love John Paul II as he was connecting with his parishioners, huh? Now, in 1953, he defended a thesis on the evaluation of the possibility of founding a Catholic ethic on the ethical system of Max Scheler at Lublin Catholic University. Uh, Why is that important, and why do I talk about it? Well, remember who we were talking about some weeks ago, right? Romano Gardini, who you've heard me say was arguably one of the greatest theologians of the 20th century, a figure who has his imprint on the last three papacies, right? Um, And how does he have his imprint on the last three papacies? Well, uh, you've heard me talk about Pope Francis and how he was writing his dissertation on Romano Gardini. You've heard me talk about Benedict XVI and how so many ways his whole pontificate in his writings was but an echo chamber of Romano Gardini. Well, with John Paul II, we find it with Max Scheler because Max Scheler was at the feet of Romano Gardini And of course, John Paul II was studying him. So um, relevant when you're looking for that continuity between these last three popes. Okay, moving along here. On July 4th, 1958, he was appointed a titular bishop of Ombi and Auxiliary of Krakow by Pope Pius XII and was consecrated September 28th, 1958. So here you have a man who is named a bishop at the age of 38, 38 years old, he was a bishop. You can already begin to imagine the great plans that, that God has for this man. And it was on January 13th, 1964, that he would be appointed Archbishop of Krakow by Pope Paul VI, uh, besides taking part in uh, Vatican II, where he made an important contribution to drafting the Constitution Gaudium et Spes that we spoke to last week. Wojtyla participated in all the assemblies of the synods of bishops. And of course, Karol Wojtyla would be elected Pope uh, on October 16th, 1978. Uh, that night where he'd come out to the balcony and he'd raise his arms, Caraggio, Caraggio, a picture that has been etched into so many of our memories. And of course, on the balcony, he took the name of John Paul II. On October 22nd, the Lord's Day, he solemnly inaugurated his patron ministry as the 263rd successor to the Apostle Peter. His pontificate, one of the longest in the history of the church, lasted nearly 27 years. And now when we look back at this man, we ought to appreciate that he was driven by his pastoral solicitude for all churches and by a deep sense of openness and charity to the entire human race. Uh, St. John Paul II exercised uh, his patron ministry with a tireless missionary spirit, dedicating all of his energy to it. 
making over 100 pastoral visits outside of Italy. Think about that. Over 100 trips outside of the Vatican City walls and Rome. Certainly, we ought to highlight his love for the young people, which led him to establish the World Youth Days, uh, 19 World Youth Days in total, which brought together millions of young people from all over the world. These would be World Youth Days, as many of us know, that would have him traveling all throughout the world. He also gave an extraordinary impetus to canonizations and, and beatifications, focusing on countless examples of holiness as an incentive, really, for the people of our time. He celebrated 147 beatification ceremonies during which he proclaimed over 1,300 blesseds and 51 canonizations for a total of 482 saints. He also made St. Therese, uh, the child Jesus, a doctor of the church. His most important documents included 14 encyclicals, 15 exhortations, 11 constitutions, and 45 apostolic letters. That being said, it was on April 2nd, uh, 2005 at 9.37 p.m., while Saturday was drawing to a close on the Lord's Day that was already beginning, uh, the octave of Easter and Divine Mercy Sunday, that the church's beloved John Paul II departed this world for the Father, um, something we will talk about here in a little while. It is often said that the measure of the man can be found in who attends his funeral. From that evening of April 2nd, to the evening until April 8th, over three million pilgrims came to Rome to pay homage to the mortal remains of the Pope. Think about that. Over three million pilgrims. And of course, lastly, he would be canonized on Divine Mercy Sunday in 2014, which of course will be the core of what we have to talk about this evening. As I said off the top, this week will be about mercy. Next week will be about theology of the body. Before we talk about mercy, something else should be said about Carol Wojtyla's life within the context of suffering, as the Polish Pope certainly would have been leaning into God's mercy at a very young age. Consider that he lost his mother in the third grade, and another sibling, an older brother, that would die three years later. At the age of 20, he found his father dead on the floor in their apartment. In other words, by the age of 20, Carol Wojtyla was orphaned. Striking to just think about that for a second. And we should add something else here. His troubles were not limited to just the loss of his whole family. As many of us know, the Nazis overran his country, and during that time, many of his friends were killed, huh? Some in concentration camps, others just shot by the Gestapo for the crime of studying for the priesthood. Uh, on one occasion, young Wojtyla was run down by a German truck and nearly died. What's more, when the Nazis finally left his beloved Poland, he and his countrymen again came under the rule of a dictator when the iron boot of, of Joseph Stalin replaced that of Adolf Hitler. Uh, later in life, of course, at the age of 60, uh, we have uh, seen the images, we know the story. A Turkish assassin shot him for all intents and purposes in his own front yard, right? And once again, he nearly died. And lastly, at the end of his life, he suffered from debilitating Parkinson's disease 
that rendered him immobile and uh, an impaired speech. Yet what was evident to all who saw him was that he was a man overflowing with joy. He experienced the mystery of suffering and the affliction endured by every single human person, but he also discovered the meaning of suffering, God's gift of mercy, and the task of sharing in this mercy. And so it is, St. John Paul II would put mercy at the heart of his pontificate and point of fact at the Shrine of Merciful Love in Covalenza, Italy in November of 1981, he would say as much. Now listen to what he had to say here. Right from the beginning of my ministry in St. Peter's seat in Rome, I considered the message of divine mercy my special task. Providence has assigned it to me in this present situation of man, the church, and the world. It could be said that precisely this situation assigned that message to me as my task before God. You know, he speaks of right from the beginning of my ministry. Here, we ought to consider what John Paul II had to say on the balcony after he was elected. And listen to these words. Praised be Jesus Christ. Dear brothers and sisters, we are still all very saddened by the death of the very dear Pope John Paul. And now the most eminent cardinals have called a new bishop of Rome. They called him from a faraway country, far but always near in the communion of faith and the Christian tradition. I was afraid in receiving this nomination, but I did it in the spirit of obedience to our Lord and with total trust in his mother, the Most Holy Madonna. I don't know if I can express myself well in your, in our Italian language, but if I make a mistake, you will correct me. And so I introduce myself to you all to confess our common faith, our hope, our trust in the Mother of Christ and of the Church, and also to begin again on this path of history and of the Church with the help of God and with that of man. You know, it is fascinating to consider, my friends, the man who was so instrumental in bringing to light the message of mercy and trust, confidence and love, was to enter into the classroom of trust, the school of trust, in such a we could say experiential way, huh? What did he say? I was afraid. I was afraid. But in the spirit of obedience and trust in Mary. Later, our trust is in Mary and the church. And of course, as many of us know, later that night, Pope John Paul II, after eating dinner with the cardinals, would later handwrite the homily that would include his now more famous words, Be not afraid, opened wide the doors to Christ, a phrase that for all intents and purposes would become the tagline of his whole pontificate, as God's mercy and trusting God's mercy is the means by which we open wide the doors to Christ. Now, the clearest proclamation and expression of Pope John Paul II's mercy comes to us in the last chapter from his second encyclical titled, Rich in Mercy. And it is a chapter titled, The Church Appeals to the Mercy of God. Listen to what he says here. The church proclaims the truth of God's mercy revealed in the crucified and risen Christ, and she professes it in various ways. Furthermore, she seeks to practice mercy towards people through people, 
and she sees in this an indispensable condition for solicitude for a better and more human world today and tomorrow. However, at no time and in no historical period, especially at a moment as critical as her own, can the church forget the prayer that is a cry for the mercy of God amid the many forms of evil which weigh upon humanity and threaten it. You know, my friends, as we live in an age of profound poverty, uh, weakness, brokenness, and sin, we are made to see that we become agents for mercy when we cry out to God for the strength to meet this poverty, to meet this weakness, to meet this brokenness and sin with heroic charity, heroic love. Again, love is mercy when it encounters all of this suffering and seeks to do something about it. Love is mercy when it encounters poverty and seeks to do something about it. Pope John Paul II wanted us to see this and live it out in concrete ways. Huh? This is why in our series on uh, Wednesdays, we have been spending time with the Corporal and Spiritual Works of Mercy. Huh? That being said, as Pope John Paul II would proclaim mercy throughout his pontificate, a very special moment took place on Divine Mercy Sunday in the Jubilee year 2000, a year that, as it was said by many, really was the year that John Paul II was tasked to prepare the whole church for, right? The 2,000-year anniversary of the most important event in human history, the Incarnation of God. And John Paul II would often look towards the year 2000 as a year of extraordinary grace, huh? Extraordinary grace that would give birth to a new springtime, a new springtime in the life of the church, one which would be revealed in the great jubilee. Now, of course, we should say here that uh, this great jubilee was built upon what? But the Old Testament understanding of what a jubilee was all about, reconciliation and forgiveness, more specifically, concrete acts of forgiving debt, uh, great grace and favor from the Lord, and ultimately, ultimately, my dear friends, a sharing in God's overflowing mercy. So if that is what a Jubilee year is all about, then Divine Mercy Sunday during the Jubilee year would be its highlight, right? <laughs> I mean, think about that. It's interesting. On Divine Mercy Sunday in that Jubilee year, John Paul II canonized St. Faustina as the first saint of the third millennium. And in his own words, during the homily of the canonization mass, he would say this, There is a particular eloquence to that. By this, I intend to send a message to the whole third millennium. God's mercy saves. He would go on. The true face of God is mercy. And it is one that helps us overcome the false image of God, one that does not seek to be in relationship with us. If you are afflicted by a harsh trial or crushed by the weight of sin, seek the gentle face of Christ. The warm rays of the heart of Christ will touch you and shine upon you. You will find hope in your despair and be consoled in prayer. Now, isn't that interesting? I bet some of you right now are thinking to yourself, that sounds a little like Pope Francis. And well, it does, because he often echoes John Paul II. The true face of God is mercy. 
we identify that phrase with Pope Francis. But again, this is something that was first said by who? John Paul II. Now, as we move into the later stages of his pontificate, there would be another homily where he would forcefully proclaim this message of mercy, this time in his home country of Poland when he declared four Polish natives as servants of God. Listen to these words. We cannot neglect this mission to proclaim the message of mercy that comes to us from St. Faustina. God has chosen our times for this very purpose. The message of merciful love needs to resound forcefully anew. The world needs this love. The hour has come when the message of divine mercy sparks a new civilization, a civilization of love. Mm. Why do we have this extraordinary jubilee year of mercy in 2016? Well, my dear friends, do we need to look any further than what St. John Paul II just said, huh? And if there was any doubt into the seamlessness of his papacy and the message of divine mercy, then let that be extinguished in the providence of God. The day of his death on April 2nd, 2005, as on the eve of the Feast of the Solemnity of Divine Mercy Sunday, in so many ways we ought to see this as an exclamation point to his life. Because it was late in that evening when Archbishop Stanislaus, his personal secretary, celebrated Divine Mercy Sunday Mass, which would have him receiving his last Eucharist on the Solemnity of Divine Mercy Sunday. And I love this, as his successor would put it, Benedict XVI, less than a half hour after he received the Eucharist, John Paul II entered into the arms of mercy. John Paul II entered into the arms of mercy. But he had one last message for us, my friends, one that he had written before he died to be read at the homily of Divine Mercy Sunday. Listen to this. Dear brothers and sisters, today's reading from the Gospel of John emphasizes that the resurrected one, the evening of this day, appeared to the apostles and showed them his hands and side. That is, the signs of the painful passion impressed in permanent way on his body even after the resurrection. Those glorious wounds, which eight days later made to touch the doubting Thomas, reveal the mercy of God, that he so loved the world that he gave his only son. This mystery of love is at the center of today's Liturgy of Sunday, dedicated to the belief of the divine mercy, to all humanity, which at times seems so lost and dominated by the power of evil, selfishness, and fear, our resurrected Lord offers in gift his love that pardons, reconciles, and reopens the soul to hope. The love that converts the hearts and bestows the peace. How much need the world has to understand and to receive the divine mercy. Now listen to these words here. Lord, whose death and resurrection reveals the love of the Father, we believe in you, and with confidence we say again to you this day, Jesus, I trust in you. Have mercy. Have mercy on us and on the entire world. So consider this. In his first homily, we heard the words, be not afraid. And in his last homily, 
we heard the words, Jesus, I trust in you. In the annals of his thousands of homilies that he prepared over his long pontificate stands these twin messages that are like bookends, huh? Do not be afraid, and Jesus, I trust in you. Is this not what lies at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount? In Romans chapter 8, verse 15, we read, We did not receive the spirit of slavery in which we fall back into fear, but the spirit of sonship in which we cry, what? Abba, Father. So Paul himself wants us to see the contrast between fear and that cry, Abba, Father. Well, what is at the heart of that cry? Trust. Because Abba is a term that uh, speaks to endearment. Trust. So trust, a message that St. John Paul II echoed time and time again as one of the great catechists. If the word catechesis literally translates as to resound or echo, then yes, St. John Paul II was one of the great catechists because he resounded, he echoed those words that come to us from the Sermon on the Mount. Do not be afraid. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Do not be preoccupied, but trust in God. Amen. Let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.